Good morning and afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris, and we're in Future Seeing, part one. And you may remember from the first uh, podcast on this topic, we were talking about the power of being able to look into the future, being the only human power. In fact, all study, all education, and all research into the past is for the possibility of prediction of the future. All success, all wealth creation... In a sense, the attraction and repulsion of relationship is all based on uh, the degree to which we can predict and create and cause and see the future. Let's begin. All work of any kind is done with thought. If you have a job that requires just pure labor and no thought, that work is less valuable than a machine and will eventually be replaced by a machine. That is a very deep thought. Progress, discovery, new leaps into the unknown are all progresses of thinking. The mind alone holds the key to the future. Each lesson in this course of training is charged with some deep thought that must be absorbed. Some lessons are long, some are short, but each and every one will hold valuable ideas that should be taken into your mind as much as you take the journey towards the goal and let, them, let that thought be absorbed. Think well, think carefully, and absorb what you think. Do not listen to these lessons into your mind, but think them in. Do not be merely interested, be chained to the ideas until they are part of your own mind and body. Too much of these podcasts, too much listening is done where we just simply listen and absorb. We need to think things into our mind. There are three layers of thought, and that's an important awareness. Your mind is capable of building different layers of thought. The superficial layer, which is where most people exist, is that of passing interest. We're in the car. We're down on the beach, we're listening to a podcast, passing interest. If you could look in on your brain, it would find that no indentation had been made from what you just listened to. That there was no impression there as a result of passing interest. So it's true that you may not be impressed, in fact, by some of the things you think. The second layer of thought is that of the storehouse called memory. Things that do not impress you because they have only a passing interest do not enter the storehouse. Don't enter your memory. The number of podcasts you listen to, the number of books you've read, there are some things gone in, some things stayed away. And it's based not on whether they're important or not. It's based on how interested you were in and impressed you were with what you heard or what you listened to. And it's right. You would not like to have a mind full of everything you've ever listened to and heard. (laughs) It would be a bombshell. Now this layer called the storehouse, we call memory. We need to be careful what we swallow. The clean mind, the wise mind, the whole mind, will select and reject. And in time, the habit is formed of gathering up thoughts that are worth saving and ignoring every other thought. Einstein was a genius at this particular topic. He said, why would I put into my mind things that have no value? The unwise person generally lets the wrong things in and blocks out 
the right and stores up masses of emotions. Thus, the habit of thinking leads to the happiness or misery. It's the habit that can be cultivated in one way or another. Thus, as you know, what a person thinks is what they be. The third layer. We've seen that the first layer of thought is that of passing interest and the second layer is the storehouse of memory. The third layer is deeper than memory. It's a thought that grabs you and enters, its very being enters into your existence. It's in this layer that the subconscious faculty dwells. As this faculty is the basis of true philosophy and the seat of every great idea, it must be carefully understood. Until within a few uh, recent years, all knowledge of the subconscious mind was just chaos. Enough has been known for thousands of years about the mystery's operations to invite all kinds of effort to deal with it as a commercial commodity. I mean, probably this effort is as old as the human race itself. And lower forms of uh, humanity have been the victims of its power among themselves from time to time because they weren't able to even think themselves. Around the subconscious is gathered all the mystics of life, all the superstitions based on fears and powers, and, the, and that has been felt and understood, all the witchcraft of centuries, Nazism, warlords, all sorts of pretense and charlatans, and the practices and rites and rituals of even South American uh, 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 Indians who put people sacrifice people at the altar because they believe that had some uh, magnificent entry into the subconscious brain. So people have been mesmerized by the ability to get down and get, get dirty with this part of our mind. But it's a most remarkable faculty. It builds fear and creates hope. It feels the presence of an inner life and construes its voice into any meaning that, it, that has an explanation. 5,000 years ago, certain leaders in Asia explained it in their way. 3,000 years ago, the God-makers gave it their explanation. The finest civilizations of the world have known, were born of, in the philosophy of the Greeks. And they explained the cry of the subconscious faculty as a demand for the systems of gods to whom the souls could fly. Today, the highest civilization of modern times is reaching out after the same mystic offerings that the god men of India, the gurus, the millions, drift away from the, the anchorage of organized religion and people start searching in meditation for the subject of the subconscious mind. Why? Because it meets the cry of the future. It feeds it. It doesn't feed it meat or food, but something that is branded as hope for life. Why is deception so easy then? Why are there so many people claiming access to this subconscious through religion, through philosophy, through self-help books? Imagine today that the race was young, had no books, no teachers, no preachers, no priests, 
and the human family is left to find out for itself the meaning of life and death. If love lives, then the first loved one who dies compels the asking of the question, is that all? Will that person ever live again? They're gone. This is the first deep question that fell from human lips. And it will be the last one too. It will not cease its inquiries as long as love endures. With no teacher, no books, no preacher, no priest, the first human being who was able to offer reply to the question and make a reply plausible or satisfying would be made the leader of the people. Thus, a religion would spring up immediately. This is the course of human nature. All things that happen are of three classes. One, those that are understood. Two, those that are not understood, but that, 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 that respond to explanations that will satisfy the demands of their meaning, in other words, uh, faith. And three, those that seem to defy all attempts of solution. From the first dawn of civilization, the occurrences of the second class have been passed over to the first class. But in the interim, the self-appointed leaders of the people have profited by their explanations. Things that were classed as evidences of, uh, and special uh, movements are now known to be normal. People claim credit for people getting better and well-being and, and uh, for human uh, uh, love and they claim credit for it from some thing they called a god or a book or something. We now know that even without the book and without the religion, without the prayers and without the everything, uh, those things would have happened anyway. But life is surrounded by the supernormal everywhere and people have never ceased to demand the meaning of it. Occurrences are always numerous in the realms of the mystics of life. And then, since there's no clearly proven explanation to be, to be had, there have sprung up people who have improvised theories. And they seek facts to bolster their theories. Hence, as long as it is possible to find unsolved mysteries, there will always be founders of cults and organized religions and founders of self-help books and business books and business training that will claim that they have the truth. And we must be really careful. Do you realize what the, the world has been doing for the last few thousand years has been paying tribute to such false leadership? The tree has its functions, the animal has its functions, including those of the tree, and also possesses faculties. A function is an operation that is necessary to life and that's carried out involuntarily, like taking a dump or a pee or taking a breath. A faculty is an operation that is carried on by the subconscious power or is developed by the process of living. Thus, when an animal borns, it begins to breathe. That's a function. But when food is near at hand, it begins to suck and swallow, and it has no training, it no teaching, it's simply a, a, a minute old. And that's a faculty taught by the subconscious power. Hunger told it to eat, but not how to eat. Its mother did not tell it how to eat, for it will eat regardless of the presence of its mother. If there is food, 
substitute it, it will eat it. It will suck and swallow as well as uh, even at one minute old, as if it were 10 or 20 years old. That's a faculty. That's not been developed by experience, but by the subconscious intelligence. You can explain it in any way you desire, and the explanation will give you the tagged subconscious mind. Most people call it instinct, yet instinct is clearly subconscious. Some call it automatic, but that which is automatic is the result of repetitions. And this is the first act, not a repeated one at the start. A faculty is an operation or an act that is not a function. A thought is a faculty of the mind. Animals below man think only in the first and second layers when they think voluntarily. This line of distinction between them and human beings is a very clear and strong one. By this it is seen that animals have passing thoughts that are not synced deep enough to be remembered, but they all have second layer thoughts that are stored away for future use. This is necessary in order to provide them with food and shelter. Enough is known today of the subconscious power to make it certain that the instinct and gui that guides an animal is lodged not in the mind of the animal itself, but in the great controlling mind that sustains all life. It is only as far as the necessary to protect the animal race from extinction that the subconscious power is granted to it. Now, what are we saying here? Well, we know in Canada that if it's going to be a very, 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 very bad winter, uh, animals uh, uh, start to prepare for it even six months ahead. And that's pretty phenomenal. Unlike a human being, the animal is preparing for six months ahead to preserve its species. And so nature is causing the animal to act and react in a way that will sustain it, and not only it, but all of its uh, collective dependencies. So squirrels and other animals will die for lack of food in the coming winter. Get this idea to start storing stuff away. Some persons have tried to explain this in the theory that the parent or associate animals have warned them against the danger of not looking into the future. But let's be real. Young animals have been kept in cap captivity without even seeing their, any of their kind and then been let loose in the early uh, spring and, and, and have started to prepare for winter. That's future seeing. No, anim no human being taught to look ahead. No one of its kind gave it lessons of any sort. While in captivity, its innermost nature said to it, mm, winter's coming, food will not be at hand then, build your winter house now and, and lay it away for your winter food. You may call it instinct, instinct is subconscious. And this is an important thing for us to get a, get a grip on very early in this uh, month of podcasts on future seeing. You cannot call it automatic for it occurs of its own volition in the first and very first year of the, of the animal's existence. Our dog, when lightning strikes, goes under the bed or goes down the stairs and tries to get into the basement of the building. It knows through instinct, through automatic uh, practice, although it's never been uh, since its uh, early birth, uh, in the company of any other dog that has done the same thing. It, it's just instinctual. It's nature's way of looking after its species. There is a cause for everything. 
If the bird or animal secures knowledge of nature and the severity of the coming winter, it must get that information from a source. No bird or animal has uh, locked up in its brain a, a, a power greater than a human, a human being. Yet, human beings rarely ever are able to tell in advance what kind of winter is coming. While the birds and animals that are left to care for themselves are given information on the subject. Isn't that extraordinary? The peculiar part of this fact is the limited knowledge that comes to the lower forms of life. It indicates that some power seeks to keep their species alive. The information that amounts to future seeing is not inborn, but it's afforded to that animal as the needs arise. It serves only one purpose. Certain animals that have been kept in captivity when turned loose will, will proceed to build their own winter homes long before there is cold weather to bring them warming. Birds build nests in advance of the needs of them. All through the animal kingdom we find evidence of the preparation for various future contingencies all made before there is any warning events that anybody can, can, can imagine that are set in motion. There is no doubt that future seeing is practiced in behalf and on behalf of animals and birds, but man is not the cause of it. For this power was active many thousands of years before men, came, men and women came on this earth. As each animal and bird possessed pr proceeds blindly to obey the impulse, the obedience is rendered not to themselves, but to the power that imparted it. And this is the really important part here. Very recently, a beaver that had never known its mother or any other of its kind was released from captivity and it proceeded to build its wonderful way, the home that it would require for winter. If you were to watch it at work, earnestly and eagerly constructing its, its, its home, you would ask yourself the question, where did it get the warning that winter was coming? How did it even know what season it was? All these things were done long before any signs of cold weather were coming. This is called future scene. It's not hereditary either. It was not the accident of a single specimen. It was not the instinct of a certain species. Natural history furnishes over 10,000 interested instances, no two being alike, of this power of an animals and birds to see ahead, to provide ahead. There is no law that meets these facts. More than this, the first generation must have had some means of looking ahead, or else the species would not have been preserved. So therefore, the first species uh, didn't gain this ability to survive from the last species. You can also look at this and ask yourself, well, why do some people win and some people lose? Why do some species go extinct? We're not dealing with any form of the occult here. We're not in any way make use of any claims of any sort of spirituality or clairvoyance or premonitions or... or presentments or any activities indeed of the occult. Our failure to deal with those things is not to be taken as disbelief in them, nor is it uh, our, uh, uh, my mentioning of them to be regarded as our belief in them. They simply have nothing to do with future seeing. We are studying three layers of the mind. That's as simple as it gets. The outer layer is well known as the transient thought reason region where most thoughts have no fixed interest and receive and lost and cast away. 
To burden the mind with the retention of a thousand of trivial facts a day would be more than, more than, more than a taxation on any brain. And this, unfortunately, is where most people exist. One great trouble with people is the fact that they do not admit important thoughts to the second layer, which is that of the permanent memory. Ideas that enter the outer layer are only, for some, forgotten, but some should be retained. And how do you distinguish between those that uh, should be just passed off and those that should be retained? The capable student at school stores ideas in the memory layer. Others reach out only the outer part, which fall behind in their, and they fall behind in their class. So what we're saying here is that there is a propensity to get sick and tired of learning and to discard all knowledge as being irrelevant, not important, or say, I know it all already, and therefore I'm not interested in absorbing more knowledge into my memory. And this kind of like is around about the, the time they call midlife crisis, where well, what, what more can I need to know? And this is a really dangerous point because it ultimately leads to failure in life. Some people just shut the door of that second layer of memory and say enough's enough because they believe everything they hear, everything they learn is tainted with bullshit. This is really important for us to recognize and not become one of those people who've been wounded and bruised by information that turned out to be wrong and therefore start to cast all information into the bucket and say, go away. The third layer is universal. It's a sea that is present everywhere. In the third layer of the mind, nothing is missing. It just changes in form. In plant life, it's wholly outside and exerts a share on the control of growth of everything in the vegetable kingdom. In animal life, it touches the edge of the intelligence and proceeds far enough to open up the future only when the safety of the species is threatened. It lives in the human mind, and the human mind lives in it. If you can imagine a house of three stories, you will find a type uh, of this third layer by making the upper story of the house the outer or the first layer that receives passing thoughts. The second story is the memory. And the third story, at the ground, it rests in a sea that extends all over the world. In other words, the, the ground floor is part of the earth. From this illustration, you'll note that the house is in a sea and the sea is in the house. The sea, in this case, being the earth. The same sea that is in your mind is in the minds of every human being on earth. It's the medium of communication between you and all the people who live. For a long time, it's been known as the subconscious faculty. And uh, there is a book called The Butterfly Effect, uh, which discusses this in great detail, that if a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere down in uh, South Australia, people in uh, the far-off reaches of the world are impacted by it. If you go into a guitar shop and pluck one guitar string, in, in that guitar shop, all the guitar strings of the same note will vibrate. The third layer. No intelligent person doubts the existence of, this, of the first layer that receives passing thoughts only. Every thinking person knows quite well that the memory of the brain is distinct from the superficial layer, just as 
thoughts have two treatments when they when they enter the mind. Some being regarded as superficial, others worthy of retention. Even a discriminating mind rejects some and keeps others. The term subconscious, which is applied to the third action of the mind, is not new. It was used long before any of us were born. It's been called the sixth sense. You will find it in any scientific work that treats the mind. It is sometimes taught as a supernormal faculty in universities that include psychics in their courses and because people are trying to explain it away. Some so-called educated people believe there is such a thing as instinct in animals or a subconscious in humanity, but they are of the old school and their numbers are fast becoming extinct. The term subconscious has come to say and its study is destined to grow into a place of the highest importance of the future. Our subconscious drives our success. I think that's enough for today. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.